This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And I'm the guy responsible for a lot of the financial cybercrime we see today. United States Most Wanted, refined modern cybercrime as we know it, and I escaped from prison. Prison, yeah, don't worry. They got me and they sent me back. The surprise, though, the surprise in all of it is that a lot of people out there cared enough about me that I was given the opportunity to turn my life around. Today, I work to protect businesses and consumers from the type of person I used to be. Welcome to the Online Frogcast. always look at my Facebook app ever, but lately, but I did um, look at my memories this morning because I thought something had happened around this day and was curious about it. And thanks to that social media platform, I was reminded that it has been almost, it's been exactly three years since we met each other in person. A lot's happened. You know, it, it has. I mean, it's, uh, we've had our ups and downs. We've uh, had some arguments. We've had some good times and some bad. <laughs> we've had podcast troubles, ups and downs, woes and woes not. We're on a hiatus for a while because Brett Johnson likes to call people assholes to their face. <laughs> In front of a crowd of people. In front of a crowd of people. I mean, he's he's not shy sometimes, but maybe you should work on that, you know? But I, I just want you to know, Carice, I, I think you're a great friend, and I, I truly am thankful for you being in my life. Oh, and likewise. I mean, I've really learned a lot from you, both on the fraud <laughs> side and in general. Um, I kind of laughed a little bit just because, you know, we have had ups and downs, but I think at the end of the day, we both have so much respect for each other that we end up kind of agreeing to disagree and compromise in the middle and keep going because we love doing this. We love talking about these, you know, issues and these important things and helping people know they're not the only ones, you know, dealing with specific issues. And that's our common thread. But I think even more so, I mean, I was just kind of found myself reflecting this morning on your career over the last three years. <laughs> because that was the first, I mean, I think most people who have listened to the podcast for a long time know this. Three years ago at CMP 2017 was your very first paid speaking gig. That's true. So what you signed me up in January of 17 was when it was announced. So that was, you, you guys were my first paid speaking gig, but as you know, BB West right. came in yeah. and 
it's like, we got to have him too. So I actually spoke <laughs> for them, I think, once or twice prior That's to right. that conference. So it was all because of what you guys did at CNV and mm-hmm. you specifically. Because I know, I know if you hadn't been over there rooting for me saying, we need Brett Johnson, that the CNV people have been like, yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I may have advocated pretty darn hard and had to make a case, um, including, you know, talking to Keith Molarski at the FBI and others, um, you know, trying to get some uh, due diligence to make sure that I wasn't inviting a hawk, a fox into the hen house. Um, and I still was a little uncertain, but I was like, well, you know, I mean, I think that the value outweighs the risk. I, I knew that you had a story and had experiences that we've never been able to, you know, glean from on this side. And it's had a huge impact uh, on the industry as a whole. People are thinking about fraud differently and fraudsters differently because of you. And um, I'm just so proud of you. And that's mostly what I wanted to start out the conversation with is I'm grateful that I was able to have a hand in it, but you did the majority of the work. (laughs) And I want you to know, I, I appreciate it. I truly do. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So, I mean, this is a little longer intro than we planned on, but I think we should still dive into refunding. Don't you agree? Well, we had better because everyone else is diving into refunding on the criminal side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we touched on this topic a little bit on an earlier episode, but I felt like we hadn't really like gone into the details as much. And we didn't know we've been, it's also been a developing story in a way, a little bit, at least on my end. Yeah. So do you want to kind of explain what's going on or what, how we're defining refunding and what it is, or do you want me to start? I mean, I mean, yeah. Why don't we both explain it? I'll, I'll talk about my little history with it mm-hmm. and then you can, you can explain it from your end as well. And then we can just dive into it if you want to. Yeah, sure. Okay. So as you know, my first keynote speaking was at the CNP conference and I talked about Amazon refunding. That was three years ago. And it starts with Amazon. I mean, it was going on before that, but from a, from an organized criminal perspective, it starts with Amazon on evolution marketplace. This is five years ago. There were some threads that started popping up saying that people were making $10,000 a month doing Amazon refunds. And the initial response from the rest of the criminal community was that's impossible. No one's Mm -hmm. able to do that. Well, three months later, and that type of fraud had redefined modern cybercrime as we know it. It used to be that that a new cyber criminal would enter into the field and he would buy credit card information, stolen credit card information. And he would try to hit Apple or Amazon for laptops and he would fail miserably. And a lot of them would stop at that point and go get a real job. So it doesn't work like that anymore. Now, a new cyber criminal typically goes into this form of refunding fraud, a friendly fraud. You order an item, you get it shipped to you, they leave it on the doorstep, you contact customer service for the company, you say, hey, I didn't get it. 
customer service will either send you a new item out, a replacement item, or they'll give you a refund. At Amazon at that point, they'd send you a, a replacement item out. You'd get it two days later. You'd contact Amazon again and say, hey, I, I didn't get that one either. And then Amazon would give you a full refund. So it was called a double dip. And mm-hmm. I was preaching that. You know, I, I preached that the first eight or nine months of my speaking career. You and, did, but nobody really understood what you were talking right. or because they didn't think that that was happening to them and they didn't really understand how. Yeah, they just because no one paid attention. No. no one paid attention. And so I stopped talking about it. And I was at mm-hmm. Quantico. I was at Quantico last year and I was talking to John Swartz and I had mentioned it during my first Quantico presentation that I gave over there. And John asked me when I came back, he was like, uh, you know, you've not talked about that Amazon thing in, in a couple of times. I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, you know, you really want to start talking about that. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, you know, that's it's it's an important part of uh, how cybercrime is operating. And he said, whether they're they're getting it or not, you probably want to start talking about that again. So I, I, I brought it back, you know, started talking about it again. And, and cue now with COVID <laughs> and, and everything else. So on, on evolution, there were these refund processors so that if you weren't comfortable enough contacting customer service and requesting the refund yourself, you could pay someone, back then it was 15%, you could pay someone 15% of whatever the order total was and they would get the refund for you. Now, of course, it's 25%. On Evolution, on these marketplaces, these forums, there were dedicated forums specifically to refunding. We don't see that anymore. Now, it's migrated over to dedicated channels on Discord and Telegram. Uh, There are Jabber people, everything else that are doing these refunds, and they're making a lot of money doing this. Yeah, well, and my experience with it is weird too. So, about a month before all of this, so probably like, February or so. And I should say throughout the last year, I've been hearing from a few retailers here and there like, hey, we're getting more claims through customer service saying that people aren't receiving packages. And it seems like it's more than what usually would happen with UPS, USPS, whoever their shipping partner was, FedEx, whatever. Um, And they're like, it doesn't always turn into chargebacks, but it's still lost because we're refunding these people um, because they say they don't get it or we're sending out another item or however the company was doing it. And in mid-February, someone I used to work with um, is now at a a very large retailer. I'm going to say pretty large, a very large, well-known retailer and contacted me and said, Hey, like, do you, this is what we're seeing. Like, is anyone else seeing this? And I was like, okay, I have had enough people mention this before, like that they're seeing an increase and did not receive or inventory not received, product not received. Companies call it different things, but you know, DNR is the shorthand. So I said, you know what, why don't I host a call for retailers? Um, I'll invite the people that I know have had it. And I'll also post it on LinkedIn and see if there's anyone else that's dealing with it. Fast forward, like two weeks, we had the call and there were about 30 of the largest retailers, not the two biggest, but everyone else pretty much. Um, And they all were talking about it. And this was on a Tuesday and the the day has significance in the story in a minute. And we were all, you know, talking about it in the way we were just kind of trying to get a handle on it. Like, are you guys seeing this? Are you seeing it? How much has it increased lately? Okay. Well, how are you handling it? Are you tracking it? You know, are you working with customer service to find out if this is normal or not? Are you guys looking at the numbers and how much you're refunding? Because a lot of this isn't really related to chargebacks. A lot of it, they just contact customer service, but 
it still was a loss to the company. So fraud was still paying attention, but not really involved. And I should say, like, I would say on that call, we were kind of going under the assumption that probably 80% of these claims were, you know, legitimate customers who just were like, oh, I found a way to get a free pair of shoes or a free this, like, you know, here and there, whatever. I mean, maybe 20% were fraudsters, but like for the majority, it was like, no, I mean, fraudsters use stolen cards and this is just a new variation of friendly fraud that's opportunistic. That was my assumption based off of everything they said. That was their assumption, et cetera. So that afternoon after that call, or I don't even remember if it was before or after, you said, hey, I've got this low level fraudster guy who wants to come on the podcast and I I invited myself to the interview Um, and that was the J podcast, um, you know, several episodes ago. And he was talking about this. Now I should say I, he, he was trying to impress us and tried and he thought he knew what they were doing. And he said they used their own payment method and you and I were both confused by it, but you were better at calling bullshit. I was more like, okay, well, I guess he knows like maybe they're doing something else. So I was glad that you pushed him on that later. Um, I, I certainly felt like I seemed naive, but it was more like in the moment, I was just sure, like, okay, sure. well, of course this guy, I mean, he'd know better than I do how these things work. Um, but what he described was these services on Telegram and Discord and um, you know Reddit and anywhere else, um, really. Uh, and they're all on the surface web, um, not on the dark web. And there are services that allow people to just send the order information of what they ordered and they'll guarantee a refund up to certain amounts. What was surprising to me when I started to dig into this more um, and I got lists of companies that people are guaranteeing refunds for in quotation marks, but they are, they're saying, I guarantee that if you place an order here and it's under this much, you'll get, I can get you a refund. Those amounts were like 2000, 3000, 4000 for one, it's $20,000. That was insane to me. I was thinking like 200, 300. Okay. A company might say, okay, I understand you. You know, we just rather refund you for that claim than file a claim with our shipping partner and go make you go through the thing. And I should also say that the reason why fraudsters are taking advantage of this is because companies are more customer focused when it comes to refunds. They have to be because if someone doesn't give them a refund, they're going to post about it on Twitter, Um, which I think leads to the story. One of the examples you wanted to give today. I just love that up to you (laughs) as far as why, you know, this is why companies are afraid to do things because, you know, they are afraid of the press and the brand reputation. I mean, there's so much to talk about on this topic, right? I know. This is going to be a really long episode. <laughs> it is. It's so the problem. But really important and worth listening to. For, it's really important. It's seriously, really important. it's really important. Yeah. Because what we see time and again, we see it with synthetic fraud. We see mm-hmm. it with this refunding fraud. It starts not at an organized criminal level. It right. starts at the consumer level is where it starts. It starts with people, you know, thinking they're not, it's, it's not that serious. It's not that serious. I'll use my child's social security number to get a utility set up because mm. my credit's so bad, or I'll use my kid's social security number to start a new credit profile. That way I can get furniture because we don't have any in the house. Mm. And the, then organized criminal elements see that kind of thing going on. And they're like, you know, there's a huge profit potential in this. Same thing with refunding. You mentioned it a few minutes ago. It, it's, mm-hmm. 
someone sees, well, I can get a free pair of shoes. I can tell oh, yeah. Nike, I can tell Nike these, and I love, I love my Air 270s. They're 150 <laughs> bucks a pop, but I love the damn things. I wouldn't be able to tell you what those look like. Just so you oh, know. I, love, <laughs> like, I love them. <laughs> I really do. I, I, and I paid for mine. I didn't refund them. I paid did. for mine. But, you know, someone sees that, you know, my kids need new shoes. Mm-hmm. I can get the money back. And that's what I think we're really concerned about with this COVID yeah. thing. So, yeah. so now you get organized criminal elements see that, okay, refunding, how much money can be made on this? Well, it turns out a lot of money can be made. So organized criminal elements take over, make it more efficient. They optimize it and make a lot of money out of it. The weird thing, what we're seeing right now, that's, that's, that's the really, this is the really weird thing is it starts at the, with the consumer level, organized elements, co-opt it, make it more efficient, make a lot of profit on it. But now because of COVID, we see that the consumers are actually partnering with the organized mm. criminal elements in order to make sure everything goes through on their end. And that's why now you've got Target that's processing refunds up to $20,000. Apple.com, $10,000. That's the problem with this stuff. These, these high-ass numbers, because the criminal elements have gotten so damn good at yeah. track of all the stores that, the, that they can do refunds on. And they've got their finger on the pulse of it all right now. Right. And that's, it's just, as somebody who's been on the merchant side for so long, it actually blows my mind at how good these guys are at knowing the policies and knowing the limits. Um, I think that there's a lot of arrogance on the merchant side of like, oh, there's a Chinese wall between us and the fraudsters. <laughs> and they don't know what we're looking at for fraud. They don't know what our limits are for refunds. They don't know any of these things. They probably know it better than your own customer service agents. They know it better than this customer service. Absolutely, they do. Absolutely. 100% they do. And they know, they also know exactly what reason they can give for those $10,000 refunds to be processed with no questions asked. Right. Right. They've they've got scripts. They've got they know your system. They know you guys inside and out. They know your company. They know everything. And I think I would say too, like if there's any, you know, for the consumers that are listening, we're going to see more and more of this. We're going. You're going to probably have a friend or somebody say like, "Wow, I can get something for free." Um, oh, I figured out how to do this, and. I think a lot of people think it doesn't have consequences, but it does in the long run. It has consequences to jobs. It has consequences to, you know, the price that you pay for items in the store. It has a lot of lingering consequences that really can't even be measured. But I think it's, you know, it reminds me so much of what happened in the recession in 2008. There was no such thing as friendly fraud before then. Uh, you really, a lot of consumers didn't know about the chargeback process. It, chargebacks were relatively low in general, and they were almost always tied to fraud. Uh, there were very few customer disputes coming in at that time. Um, for a lot of reasons, it was the way the rules were set up and everything else, but that is not <laughs> the purpose of this podcast is not to put you to sleep. So I will not go down that rabbit hole, <laughs> but it was harder. And when the recession hit, there were people still wanting to live the, the life that they had been accustomed to, but couldn't always afford it. And that was why within two years of the recession, I was hired to go to Expedia to help them with their friendly fraud chargeback process. And it's still in effect today because so many people 
had figured out, ooh, I know how to get a free trip. I just go on the trip and then I call my bank and say that my card was stolen. Or I say that it wasn't as described. Or I say I didn't actually get to go on the trip or whatever the reasons were. And they just saw chargebacks skyrocket. And every company did. I mean, the next uh, major conference that we went to, that was when I was on the chargeback committee, which is so nerdy, but um, I loved it. Of course, um, and uh, <laughs> and we all got in a room and talked about it. I can still vividly see what the room looked like, and we were like, "What do we call this thing?" And there were two people that were very, very avid and very uh, insistent that we call it friendly fraud. And I and uh, and then all the vendors and everyone else got stuck on that ty- name, and that's just what it became. Um, so, and you way, know what I think of that? Oh, I do, I do, yeah. Yeah, you were a friendly fraudster because you had a smile on your face all yeah. the time. <laughs> I think whoever came up with those terms that from now on, we just put duct tape on their mouth. And I would actually sweet. agree with that because um, <laughs> I know who those people were. Um, one of them actually isn't even in fraud anymore. Um, of course but- not because they come up with stupid ass <laughs> terms like that. <laughs> Yeah, I was also one of only two women in the room and I was new in my career. So I wasn't as like bold and stubborn as I am now. I mean, I was, but not in that case. I was like, oh, well, I guess I don't really know. But, but well, you, well, Carice, let's be honest now. You, you popped out bold and stubborn. <laughs> oh, my, my family would agree with that. Um, as did you. I'm sure that takes one to know one. But, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I at least was. Uh, my imposter syndrome and, and you know, naive just newness to the industry was still in effect. So I didn't, I think I voiced my opinion. I was like, I think that that's a really stupid name, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, well, I do remember saying like, I don't like, I mean, I don't get it. But anyway, the whole point was to say like, okay, it's friendly fraud if the person use their own credit card, but are claiming a reason to get their money back. It's hostile fraud when someone's using someone else's credit card. Okay. That's, that was, and that was the time it was like around 2010, I think when that was sure. decided. Now, 10 years later, we're facing another economic crisis. And yeah, that friendly fraud stuff still happens. Um, not on my watch with my clients. I'm very, very good at producing it, <laughs> but it still happens. Um, and, uh, you know, one day I may be able to duplicate that on a much larger scale and I hope to, but now it's, I, I think it's refunding fraud. I think that this is exactly going to be the issue, right? Oh, just call that company and tell them you didn't get it. Do this. Oh, here, if you don't want to do it, here's a guy. You just pay them 25% of what you were going to pay and you get that thing for free. You basically get whatever you paid for for 75% off. Um, and talking to Jay, I mean, it was very clear that his triggers are very similar to yours and he wants to provide for his family like any parent does. I mean, I certainly do. And I know we all do, but his way of providing is to do, ref- well, he hadn't done the refunding we turned out, but but other things, right? Um, like the food delivery scams or, you know, and he, he knew that they were using stolen credit cards, but for 25, 20 or 25% of the cost of going out to dinner, he was able to provide a nice meal out for his family. I have sincere empathy for that. I don't want to villainize the people that are desperate and in need. What I do want to villainize and what I do, vil- I, not that I want to, I just, I do villainize the people who are enabling this behavior and who are doing it at a very excessive excessive level. It's one thing to say, okay, my kid needs a new pair of shoes. I'm going to order this from this company. 
and claim I didn't get it. I'm still not saying that's okay, but it, that's different than saying, I'm going to order $10,000 from this shoe company wor- yeah. worth of shoes and then call and say, I didn't get it. That's completely different. Um, and the problem is, like I said, retailers are afraid to say no, um, because they don't know when people are lying or not lying and they don't want to ever lose a customer. And so the business decision has been, let's err on the side of customers. The other issue is you've got customer service doing this. Their entire job is to, you know, help the customers. Um, I truly believe that there needs to be a shift in the way that businesses are dealing with this. Um, and we can talk about that in a few minutes, but um, I'm pretty passionate about that. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with you. And, and God knows we've got 38.6 million Americans out of work right now. The numbers are going to raise again this next week. Not mm-hmm. a doubt in my mind about it. And out of those 38.6 million, a lot of people are wondering how they're going to support their family, right? how they're going to eat, how they're going to pay their bills. They're also wondering how they're going to put, since we're talking about shoes, or they're wondering how they're going to put shoes on their kids' feet. Mm-hmm. They are, and, and Lord knows, I, I can understand. God knows I can understand the temptation of getting enough money to, together to order your Under Armour shoes or your Nike shoes or whatever, and then uh, saying, you know, I don't have to pay that money. I, Under Armour can't afford it. They can right. afford it. And uh, trying to get the refund, but I, I'll tell you, that's a, it's just from personal experience. That's a bad path to go down. You know that. I mean, I know that. Mm-hmm. It's a bad path. I, I, it's understandable, but it's a bad path. Well, yeah. And you look at you know how remorseful Jay was, right? Like on our call, I I don't know where he is or what happened to him or what you know all all those things. Um, you know, hopefully he gets in touch with us. But he was very remorse. You know, there's a there's a chance that he has fallen back into it, especially with all these temptations, I, I would imagine. But I know that he was feeling guilt and, and some shame around that. And that's just not a way that you, you know, it's so much better to provide for your family with, you know, money that you earn. Now, I also, like I said, I'm super sympathetic and empathetic to the fact that it's not as easy as just going out and getting a job. There are a lot of jobs that can't be worked right now in the U.S. and elsewhere, right? In tourism, yeah. in service, in anywhere there's people. I mean, it's really, really bad. Yeah. Um, so I get it, but I also feel like if this continues, this is like a wildfire. It has spread so quickly and so much in the last couple months. And if this continues at this rate, there's going to be more people out of jobs because these businesses are losing so much money. Well, that's the case, right? I mean, that, that's a fact. That's a fact. And, you know, you know, Brett Johnson, I'm the guy that if I want to know how something's done, mm-hmm. I typically, I typically will try to do it myself. So if I want to know how to do an ATO, I'm going to do it the legal way. I'm going to try to take over my own account. Right. And see how that is. So if I wanted to know how easy it is to do refund fraud, what am I going to do? Well, guess what? I'm going to do, I'm going to see about refund to fraud myself. So what I did was I had an order with Under Armour, $450. And I was wondering, okay, how, how easy is it to do a refund through Under Armour? Okay, so I'm going to walk you through because I saved snapshots of the text. So I got on the chat session. FedEx had dropped the box off on my doorstep. I wait a day 
Now, it's important to note that right now, FedEx has a lot of delays because of mm-hmm. COVID-19. A lot. A lot they also of the are not able to do um, s- uh, signature. They are. That's right. Which goes in. That's, that's a big mm-hmm. plus right now with refunding fraud. Right. Not only that, but what we're seeing a lot of the time is it will show as delivered and it's not. It won't arrive for three or four more days after that. So that's an important key that's going on right mm. now, too. So the package arrived on my doorstep. I get in, I get it, open it up, all my shorts, because I order these Under Armour shorts and t-shirts to work out on. So I got all these shorts and t-shirts. I then wait a day and get on Under Armour's chat session. This guy named Micah, and I guess Micah's a guy. But anyway, I'll I'll read because it's a short enough chat session, so I'll read some of the messages. Thank you for choosing Under Armour. My name is Micah. Hey, how may I help you? Hello, Micah. I've not received this order yet, and I give the order number. Micah responds, just a moment. I'll take a look. My response, many thanks. It was due to arrive. It shows April 10th as delivery date. Says it was delivered yesterday. I didn't get anything. Micah responds, yes, it shows it was delivered yesterday. Can you confirm your shipping address? I confirm shipping address. The response is, thanks. Have you checked with any of your neighbors? Have you checked your mailbox, porch, leasing office, etc. for the package? Sometimes they will place the package in different locations. My response was, yes, it's a house, Micah. Nothing at the neighbors. Mailbox is out front. And there's been and there has been mail, but nothing from you guys. Micah responds, okay, we will file a claim with FedEx. In the meantime, would you like us to set up a replacement or issue a credit back to your original payment form? My response, you know, a replacement would be great. I want those clothes. Mm. Micah says, would you like it shipped to the same address? My response, yes, please. Next response is, great, you'll receive your replacement order within the next five business days. Uh, My response is, you are so outstanding. Thank you so much. Response, you're welcome, Brett. Is there anything else I can help you with today? That's it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for shopping at Under Armour. It is literally that easy to get a refund. Now, I did not, before they could ship it out, I did inform them that, I oh, I found the package. Hmm. Which I'm I'm glad about because I, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would have been much more. <laughs> I wouldn't have been so happy with you if you know, because it's one right. thing to test it out. No, I had told you yesterday via text that I've given a lot of thought to this and thought about reaching out to the retailers that I know um, sure. are being most impacted by this and saying, "Hey, I'd like to see what it looks like on your end if I place an order with you, and then I go through. I want. I actually want to go through a refunding." service, but I want to make sure that I get like indemnification, like they're not going to go after me um, or put me on a negative list or anything. And what I would do is ask them to look at it on their end to see what the fraudsters are saying. Are they saying anything other than we didn't get it? They, so it depends. And fortunately, I have experience with that. Mm-hmm. Back on evolution, you mm-hmm. know, I, I was I was well versed and knew the guy who was the, the head refunder. His name was Texas Taxmaster. <laughs> so he was the head re- refunder for Amazon on on Evolution Marketplace, and then he became the head refunder over on um, Alpha Bay at that point. Hmm. And it would depend on, there were, there were the basic excuses were did not arrive, DNA. It did not arrive. Mm-hmm. And you would say did not arrive if they left it on your porch without a signature. If they, if they left it on the porch, it was always, it was always did not arrive. Right. You don't care. If you were forced to sign for it, you tried to sign a name different than the one that was on the box or just mm-hmm. a straight line. If you got by with that, guess what? The excuse was it was did not arrive period, did not arrive. If you were forced to sign your real name or, or they delivered it to a person or anything else like that, 
Then there were a few other excuses that popped up. The excuses were the item was not in the box. You would order three or four different items. The most expensive item, the laptop, what have you, was not in the box. Or it was damaged. The battery leaked all over everything. Now, the battery leak is important because some of these companies want you to send the item back. You would say, no, I've got battery acid all over everything. I'm not touching the damn thing. And at that point, Amazon or Apple or who have you would say, okay, don't worry about it. We'll send you a replacement item. That's typically the way this thing happened. And those excuses five years ago are the same excuses today. Yeah. Bar none. And so, you know, going through, I'd like to ask you, so going through that Under Armour refund, that's a $450 refund where you said it didn't, did not arrive. How does a company protect against that? How should they or how do they not? I how, mean, how could they? How could they right. protect against that? Right. Well, there's a few different things and it really varies. It's kind of similar to fraud where you need to understand what it's looking like for your company. So or is it coming through a chargeback or is it coming through refunds? Most likely this type of fraud is coming through refunds because the refunder isn't going to tell them to go through the chargeback process. Like that's, that takes a long time and there's some ambiguity there. So as long as they can go through and just call customer service on your behalf, that's what they're going to do all day long. What I think it really, you know, I'm huge on processes. So this is where my perspective comes in, but this is something that I've worked on with companies in the past. Um, not, not because there were fraudsters doing it, but this has always been a problem of, you know, being a little bit more like, how do you know, right? There's, it's a he said, she said thing. How do you know? So, and also there is a did not receive chargeback or services not receive chargeback code. And so I've worked with companies a lot on preventing those. So what I would say is being able to assess the situation. What is it looking like for you? Doing some measurements and metrics is super important because how do you know if you have a problem or what the problem is if you can't measure it? So most companies aren't doing anything really to track their refunds. They aren't saying what was the reason for the refund in their system, like in a systematic way to run a report. Most retailers can't just say, oh, we had 5,070 you know, 726 uh, refunds based on the item not being received last, you know, last month. And we had 1,374, I don't know, I'm just making up numbers, um, of the ones that um, saying that it was damaged or, or not in the box, that kind of thing. So then you can kind of figure out, okay, what's the, what's the script, what's happening, whatever. I would say a big thing is to work together with your customer service department. You should also be tracking the number of times this happens to a customer. So um, chances are there are customers that have maybe never paid for something at your on your company and you wouldn't even know it. Granted, you might find it accidentally, but a lot of times people don't run reports like that. Like, what's the net value of this customer? Um, I worked with a luxury retailer recently, and that was something that I suggested because they were really concerned that somebody sent something back that was counterfeit and they were a really good big you know, spender. They didn't want to insult them by saying, hey, you sent something back that it w- is a fake. I said, okay, well, let's you know look at the net value of some of those customers. And sometimes it turned out that those customers, yeah, it looked like they'd spent a lot, but they'd actually gotten a refund or issued a chargeback on every charge. Um, so that's you know one thing, knowing at a customer level. Um, one quick story from a retailer that I just heard last week. They are a retailer that's very big on customer service and really when in doubt, they refund. 
the fraud team's been trying to say like, hey, people are taking advantage of this. And the company's like, yeah, but we get so many sales because people know that we have good refund policies. Sure. Um, and that's true with like, you know, the Nordstrom's and REI's of the world, Costco's, et cetera. I mean, I don't know how many times my husband's like, oh, well, I bought it at Costco. So if you don't like it, we can return it. Yeah. Um, it's usually yeah. on the big ticket items. Um, <laughs> you just bought a giant Cuisinart deep fryer, uh, not deep fryer, um, air fryer or convention oven anyway. Um, and he was like, yeah, I bought it at Costco. That's fine. So, you know, we know that that is a driver of sales. So you need to find the balance always. Well, in this company's case, they had a woman who over four years, every month would order hay for her hamster. And this company doesn't just do pet stuff at all, but like, this is what, you know, they, they're a large retailer. Um, but that was, you know, what she, what she would purchase through them. And every month she would call and there was something wrong with the hay. It was damaged. It was, you know, moldy. It was open for four years. It was, maybe it wasn't every month, but it was like every other month. It was pretty regular. Um, and finally they realized like, oh, this is a pattern. I mean, it took a few years to notice, but that's not uncommon for companies because they have thousands or, you know, in some cases, millions of customers. They finally, it got up to the fraud department and it was like, okay, this is an issue of abuse. But the manager had to like make a case to executives of like, hey, this is how many orders they've done. These are all the notes. They went through, I mean, you know, having the warehouse taking pictures of the original state of <laughs> this item. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't that expensive, but whether it was a need or whether it was a thrill, I don't know. But finally, they... I loved the way the fraud manager handled this. This is exactly how I would handle things when I manage something. I told my um, team that even though we had to have the hard conversations, like, I'm sorry, we can't do business with you or, you know, whatever it was, um, I always wanted their goal to be someone thanking them at the end of the call and being super, you know, you can be very customer service oriented with a, while still being an advocate for your company. And so um, when the next part, you know, they had a few times where the warehouse was taking pictures and still sent it out and every time it was still damaged, still damaged. And so she finally you know, called her and said, look, like, I think we're doing you a real disservice. I mean, gosh, I, I can't believe you keep ordering from us. I mean, every time, like, we just can't get it right for you. And I'm really sorry about that. Um, and because of that, like, we, we just don't know what else to do. So at this time, we just, we can't offer you, we can't ship to you anymore. You're going to have to find someone else. They even offered to ship to a store because um, they're you know, similar to a big box retailer. They offered to ship it to a store. And it was like, no, 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 no. No, I want it. I'm, I'm disabled or something or wasn't able to leave the house. Needed it shipped. Needed it shipped. Well, once they were told that they couldn't order anymore, then it was like, but but I can't order from anyone else either. And it's like, oh, that's why you're buying hay from this company. Ah. Um, now, this is like a one-off, obviously, just not, you know, through um, not going through a refunder or anything. But this was one of the first times that this company has had to fire a customer. Now, there are other companies that do it all the time. I, and I think that there's a balance there. And I think that every company needs to make their own decision on that but I and I'm just kind of talking to the fraud vendors here this is free product advice if you want it I know at least one company is working on something or has something for refunding to be quite honest they've sent me the materials I have not dove into it as I should but I believe that a fraud provider should be able to be tracking this not 
you should have the, you're going to have to build a little bit of product changes in there because um, you're not going to want to mark an item as fraud or mark a customer as fraud so that they can't ever do a purchase again. But it would be really important for, for, I think it would be really good for a fraud provider to be able to track this stuff and be able to provide some data around it, especially the machine learning uh, providers. They may be able to have you know, find some predictions, be able to say, hey, when people do X, Y, Z, this is an indicator that they're going to be asking for a refund or that they're specifically doing this, or maybe it's a specific item that's being, you know, requested more than usual. Now, granted, most of the time, it'll probably be the same item that every good customer wants as well. But getting some data around this is really the first step. It's the first step to fraud fighting in general. Um, And I also believe that if uh, there's a lot more to it. I, I've already thought out from a product perspective what it would look like on the fraud provider way. But, you know, be, building in the logic to be able to track refunds in a systematic way and then be able to study that data is the first step. And then the next step, if there is predictable um, behaviors, being able to put some rule sets around them while not impacting sales negatively. I think that's the first step, just getting your hands around it and figuring it out. And then on the process side, it's all about coaching with your, you know, working with your customer service, letting them know that this is an issue and maybe setting some new guidelines as a company. Once you have that data and you can go to your CEO or your director or whoever you need to, you go to and say, hey, did you, you know, we're all concerned about chargebacks and this is how much, you know, we lost $200,000 in chargebacks last year, but we refunded $750,000. Maybe we should be paying attention to this. And then I think it's a conversation of, do we put some stop gaps in order? Do we say, okay, we don't issue instant refunds. We do it in a week. We, and you can do it in accordance with the um, chargeback guidelines. So they're not just running and calling their bank. There's steps that you can, as long as there's clear communication and all that, there's things you can do. There's one retailer I know that really slowed down the refund process quite a bit, especially on the ones that they were certain were through these services and they saw their refund requests go down. Um, Another option is to lower the amount that you're willing to refund. $20,000 is insane to me. That should not, one customer service agent should not be able to refund that. Especially what if they, you know, if your lower level customer service agents have that ability to refund up to $20,000, they're giving it to their friends. They're doing it for everyone. Uh, There's a lot of risks there, but, and, and maybe they do have to escalate it, but still, even with an escalation process, that shouldn't be that easy. So that's, those are just some of the things that a company could do. I mean, obviously there's other specifics dependent on exactly what they, you know, what they sell and how their process works and, and how much friction you can put in place for the custom, the good customer without them leaving. Um, for example, if you sell products that everyone else sells, then you are going to want to have less friction. If you are a specialty retailer and you are one of the only people, companies that someone can get something from or you have your own brand, that's a little different. It varies, but those are the general things. I think it's twofold. It's tracking the data and it's working with customer service to know that this is happening and your company's being targeted. I mean, I would agree with that to a T right there. I mean, if you're not looking at the data that's coming in, how are you going to defeat any of that? Um, to give you an example, I was thinking as, as you were talking about it. So this crime, right now we're seeing a lot of these refunds that are taking place either on prepaid debit cards or on gift cards. 
So I, right. I made a post on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter the other day that, and I, I, I did some screen captures of processed mm-hmm. refunds. And most of those screen caps were to gift cards. Mm. So, and the reason for that, understand the reason for that is- And you and, got those screen grabs from the dark web, right? They I, weren't I, your no, own- Yeah, I didn't get right? them from the dark yeah. web. We got them from oh. uh, Telegram. One of the refunders, you know, right. posts, this is what I've done today. And that was yep. that day's refunds out of several, you know, he, I think he did like a hundred that day. So uh, you figure a hundred each refund, this is what the guy's making. So if he does a hundred refunds a day, typical refund is say $500, he gets 25%. So he's getting $125 times 100. Wow. Guys making a day. That's, is that 12,500? Yeah. 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 Damn. 25 times 100. Yeah. 12. And he's just calling customer service and saying, no, I didn't get it. He's making the exact same conversation that I had with Under Armour. Wow. 12,500 a day at a minimum, at a minimum is what the guy's doing. So there's a reason that he continues to do that. And it's not just him. There are tons of these refunders out there that are doing the exact same thing. But the way it starts, of course, is the the person who wants a refund, they use their credit card, their name, their address. That's the that's where it starts. And they, they continue to use all their credit cards until they run out of credit cards. Hmm. And then what do you do? Well, you can either look at gift cards or prepaid debit cards. So there's a, there's a line of progression there where you, you start at your credit card. Right. So they'll start on their credit card with the first or second refund, but then they want to make it, you know, not seem like they're coming back. It's them all the time. Right. So they'll change their method of payment. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And do you know if they're being advised to set up new accounts, if they do this multiple times with um, specific retailers or are are they in a place where they're able to... So they're advised to set up new accounts and use new addresses. Now, the way it used to work on Amazon to show you that just the idiocy of rules-based systems. And you've talked about that as well, <laughs> all right? Mm-hmm. So a, a rules-based system looks for specific, very specific types of things. If you don't have these specific words in there, mm-hmm. then the only thing a fraudster needs to do is just change the wording a little bit. So Amazon, when this fraud started, I live at, say I live at 1607 Old Forest Drive. Instead of me putting in, so the first order, I would put 1607 Old Forest Drive, D-R-I-V-E. The next order, I would just put 1607 Old Forest and leave off the drive or 1607 Old Forest DR or 1607 Mm -hmm. Old Forest Street. And it would go through every single time as a brand new account, a brand new order, because it's all rules-based at that point. That's that's something that we see constantly with these companies, even today, that's still- Or the email thing that we we, mentioned the last, right, right, on the last um, episode that we had, you know, with periods in it, with with Google. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. (laughs) So you've got all of that and, and, so, so you're right. If you look at the data, there's a progression there that takes mm-hmm. place. And I want, you, I, want, I want merchants to understand, sure, the, the refunders, the people who are contacting customer service, they have a skill set. They know how to properly use proxies. They know how to use remote desktop protocols. They can hide their identity where it looks like it's a brand new person coming in, talking right. to you on that chat session. The people who are actually placing the orders, though, most of these people are consumers. They don't know how to properly use a SOX 5 proxy. These consumers, they don't know about that. They may be using a proxy, but they don't know how to turn off WebRTC or they're using a brand new prepaid device or something like that. More than often than not, they're using the exact same IP over 
and mm-hmm. over and over. So it's easy enough to spot this type of stuff that's going on. I, I just, you know, you're right. But they have to track it. They have they to have know to it's it. actually a threat and not just, huh, either our shipping partner is not doing a good job at delivering items or there's just a lot of individual consumers taking advantage of us. They don't, I mean, a lot of retailers don't realize that this is criminal attack and these are coordinated as well um, and that there are patterns to take advantage of. And I think that's the importance of this episode. And um, I've spoken to a lot of con- a lot of retailers recently and not all of them know that this is happening. And so I think it's super important that we, you know, that, that we highlight this and that people, I think, it's kind of similar to like AA, admitting you have a problem or acknowledging you have a problem is the first step. Well, I mean, but who's going to admit it? <laughs> and, and then it's not only that. It's not only that. It's, it's sharing information because this stuff hits mm-hmm. Amazon. If Amazon would have just shared the information of what they were seeing with the other companies, people would have been much more prepared at that point. But it never happened. It never happened. Yeah. I mean, traditionally, they are not... Um not the best at, sh- at sharing information with people, uh, with with other companies, and I um, I don't mean that as a knock on on a- on the people that work at Amazon. I, I you know think they've got some great people, but it's a company policy. Yeah. Um. But I also don't know. I mean, I think that yeah, had they publicly said you know like gone to conferences or whatever and said, hey, we're being hit by this, and I think you will too, that may have had an impact. But I think that part of it is. Um, Companies don't really like, I mean, I don't know. I I guess I can't really talk in hindsight, but I have seen some big retailers speak up at conferences and say, hey, we're seeing this problem. And people are interested in hearing what it is, but they don't always, when it starts happening to them, they don't always think, oh, that's what these guys were talking about. They also, most most of the time, won't put in preventative measures thinking, oh, this is going to come to me. Usually it's, they don't think about it until they're starting to get hit. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I think that one company talked about it. Um, and that's just, you know, shame on us, I guess. But um, not you and I, but, you know, just <laughs> industry. <laughs> but I do think it's very important that companies know, okay, the big guys get hit first. And that is one of the million reasons that I'm so big on merchant collaboration. Had we I not been able to get those 30 big retailers on the phone, um, they all would have thought, oh, well, we're just the only ones seeing this, so I guess it's not a big deal. Um, then after we had that call with Jay, I sent a big, long email with screenshots from Telegram and um, a Google uh form that one of the refunders had created with a lot of company names and a lot of the people on my on that thread that were part of the call that I had were listed there. And so um, I've also gone proactively out to several of the companies that are listed in some of the refund lists to let them know, hey, you're on this list. This is what it means, blah, blah, blah. But now you've reached out to some that you've heard crickets as well. I have, yes. Yeah. And uh, some of then the one that you're thinking of is the one that every fraudster says they're wide open and it's so easy to do. Right. Um, and I've I've tried and and so I you know that's all I can do, right? Um, is try to let them know and if they're not paying attention, I can't do anything else. There is some connection to when you say, hey, this company is getting hit you know, or these guys are wide open and I say, oh, 
I knew I know the leadership there or I did know the leadership there and and they're a bit apathetic or they don't really have they're they're burnt out and that's unfortunate but all I can do is what I can do but yeah it's frustrating it's very frustrating That's it for this episode of the Online Fraudcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've learned a lot. You know, we've got a lot of fraud to talk about on this show. I mean, a lot. So subscribe to the Online Fraudcast to be alerted when a new episode is out. And please tell your friends and rate and review where you can to help others learn about these topics as well. And feel free to drop us a line to say hello. We love when we hear from you. Also, we want to hear what you love about the show, how we can improve, and what topics you want to hear us discuss. You can find us at onlinefrogcast.com, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or find us individually on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.